Hi, and welcome to Happiness Through Hardship, the podcast, where we share positive stories and suggestions about finding hope, resources, and connections to help us all get through hard times. I'm Karen Sullivan, a mom, an author, and a stage four cancer patient who's always looking around me for inspiration. I believe in surrounding myself with people and experiences that make me smile. And that's what I'm hoping to do for you today. So grab your favorite drink, get cozy, and let's get started. I am so excited to introduce you to Francesca Grossman, a highly acclaimed author and writing instructor. Her work has been published in the New York Times, Brainchild Magazine, and to name a few. There's been so many. She is internationally known for writing the manual, Writing Workshop, How to Create a Culture of Useful Feedback that is used in universities globally. In addition to her professional achievements, she's a woman of resilience and is no stranger to pain. In her 20s and 30s, she endured thyroid cancer, Crohn's disease, and other autoimmune conditions that left her feeling isolated in her suffering. Francesca began to discuss her condition with others and discovered that over 50 million people in the United States have suffered from chronic pain, and almost 70% of them are women. Now, Francesca shares her personal experiences and those of 20 other women with chronic pain in her new book, Not Weakness, Navigating the Culture of Chronic Pain, in which she challenges the toxic culture of shame, humiliation, and fear that surrounds pain particularly in women. Francesca, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Well, you know, I want to say this is going to be great. On the same note as we're sitting here, we're talking about people in pain. And, you know, I think all of us, like ever since we were a kid, there was at some point we experienced pain, whether it was we fell off a bike, whether we broke an arm, whether we, and I, you know, I shouldn't admit to the fact I was making cookies as a teenager and I stuck my finger in the beater. Like that hurt. (laughs) That was painful. Um, You know, or it was heartbreak. You know, so many of us at different points of our lives, maybe now as adults or as children have have had this internal pain too. Uh, But I was really interested because as we age, and by the way, for those listening, I'm not sure I want to say that we're middle-aged because to <laughs> me that sounds so old. Um, but, you know, knowing that I'm going to have a, a big birthday this summer and it's, uh, it's, it's uh, you know, the magical 5-0 number, I really am middle-aged. And whether you're middle-aged or you're listening to this knowing that we dream to, to, to grow old, right? Mm-hmm. There will be, I call them hiccups along the way, but that might not really adequately describe them. There will be hardship along the way, one of which could be chronic pain. You hear about it a lot, but if you haven't experienced it, you might not know what it's about. So I'd love for you to share with the listeners, tell us a little bit about your story with chronic pain. And if you could articulate a little bit about what it is, because I think we all think we know, but just like many things in life, if you haven't experienced it, you really might not. Right. No, I think that's totally right. And I think, you know, there's all kinds of chronic pain and I will tell you a little bit about where mine began and how it sort of evolved. Um, But the women that I interviewed for my book and the women I've been talking to, um, all, all of them have different origins of their pain. It can be an accident. It could be Uh, some sort of medical issue, an illness, a degenerative issue, an autoimmune disease, cancer. There's a million things that it can come from, but it's basically a pain that continues 
probably for a lifetime. Um, and it can ebb and flow and it can, you know, sort of almost feel gone and then come back. But the idea of chronic pain really, at least for me, um, is this the difference between chronic pain and acute pain is that, you know, with acute pain, you break your leg, you stub your toe, you have a headache, it's going to go away. Um, and with chronic pain, you know the opposite. It is never going to go away. And there's something about that that makes you change the way you think about pain. Um, and that's what I was interested in. In terms of my own story, um, I think I'm pretty sure I started being in pain when I was a child, but I didn't totally understand that that was pain. And, you know, it's funny looking back on the things that were difficult for me playing sports and staying up late to study and partying, frankly, <laughs> and things like that. I now realize that most people didn't, most young people don't have any pain or don't think about pain in that way. And I'm pretty sure that I, you know, I don't have a memory of pain. That's one of the things that I think nature gives us is the ability to not remember pain acutely or specifically. But I, I'm pretty sure that when I was a child, I experienced pain. And then it really came to a head when I was in high school and I was playing soccer and I played a lot, even though I felt terrible the whole time. And I noticed um, a lump, I had had some pain in my chest and I noticed a lump in my breast and I totally ignored it for years because I thought to myself, I'm a teenager, this is not, I'm not doing this. And you know, you're a teenager, maybe when you were younger, you would have talked to your parent, but you're 16 or you're 17 and you're, you know, going out with boys for the first time and hanging out with your friends in playing soccer. And you're not telling your parents. Right? And not telling your parents. So I didn't do anything about it for a long time. And then I got very sick in college and ended up having it looked at. And thankfully it was benign, but it was the first of many sort of of these growths. Some people call them tumors, but they were benign. So they were sort of growths kind of everywhere. Um, and they hurt, which was weird. And no one could really give me an answer to that. Uh, but I just kind of went on with my life. And then one started growing on my thyroid that grew very rapidly and that was weird, um, but that they still didn't do anything about for eight years. And I was exhausted and basically anything that happens with thyroid disease, which is that you gain a lot of weight and you kind of, your mood is all over the place. And I was 22 years old and not able to do anything really, but lie on the couch. Um, and I went to a doctor who told me basically to just live with it and everything would be fine. And I was 22 years old, living in New York city, trying to work a job, trying to have a life. And I knew it was wrong, but I just kind of listened. Finally, eight years later, they said they did a biopsy and they said, you know what, actually it's malignant. We're going to do surgery tomorrow. And so I had had cancer for eight years, but I didn't get to ever have it. Not that I wanted to have it, but I didn't get to experience it or um, sort of live with both the, the emotional ramifications or the physical fallout from it because immediately it was removed. And it was this very weird kind of, it felt like a silencing um, kind of a brutal silencing because I had my throat cut. <laughs> so it was, that was sort of the trajectory. I also developed Crohn's disease during that, which is a, a really, if you don't know about it, it's basically um, very intense pain in the intestines and then an urgency, like you have to go to the bathroom now, um, which for a young 20 something is, I mean, for anyone it's horrendous, but for, you know, I had to scope out the bathroom at bars before I would go early in the day or didn't want to ride the subway or all these things that because of this intense 
pain and then humiliation of, of having to go right now. So that was kind of my story. And then I've developed, because I have these autoimmune, they're linked, you know, thyroid and, and intestinal disease tend to be linked and they tend to also be linked to arthritis and depression actually. Um, and all of these things sort of came at me in my thirties. And, you know, it's been a long, I mean, it's been 25 plus years in pain. And the weirdest part about it is that when I really sat down to look at everybody I knew, I didn't know anyone else that was in pain. And that was shocking to me. Like, how is this possible? Um, and that's when I tried to start investigating that. When you say you didn't know anybody, is that because in your circle of people, it wasn't there or wasn't talked about? When you did start to investigate, what did you find? And were there common links with these column cases? Well, it was mostly that no one talked about it. I think people talk about it more as they get older because it becomes more commonplace to have pain, maybe chronic pain, maybe illness. It also becomes more normal just to talk about it. You know, when you're having a glass of wine with your friend, now you're talking about your, all these things that are happening to your body. I don't think we did that as much when we were in our 20s right. and 30s. Right, right. Um, but, but what I started doing once I talked to people and, and started talking, hearing their stories was linking their stories based on sort of, for lack of a better word, themes. And what people tended to talk about was this idea of feeling silenced because of a shame that they had this weakness um, that was pain. And some people even called it, you know, I suffer in silence because that's what I've been taught to do. And I think that that's really where our culture is, is this idea that we, you know, we love strength. We love someone who stays up all night and finishes, you know, the, even in, in shows that my kids watch, you know, they, they prepare for their tests by, by killing themselves, you know what I mean? By, by really staying up all night and and drinking Mountain Dew and, you know, and really pushing themselves. We love, you know, an intervention. We love, and, and not to say that these things are, are, are not positives. It's great to fight. We love a fighter, but I think there's something in that that gives us, especially women, this um, idea that if we were to talk about it, we're complaining. And if we complain, then somehow we are not the warriors that that people want us to be and need us to be. Or my sense is, is if people don't understand and you're talking about it, complaining about it, they don't understand. And so it comes out as the person that's listening wants to fix it. Right. Right. In this, I think our culture, you know, especially as you age, you talk about a lot of different things. And a lot of times the knee jerk reaction is, okay, what can we do to fix this? What recommendations can I give you? What? And that I think would be stressful when you've got people in the room that are trying to maybe have a good time or, or, or just manage life and they can't really understand where each other are coming from. So I could see where that would be in a sense, like you might feel lonely yeah. Because you don't have the, those other connections that understand what you're going through. Sure. And also it's not going away, right? So there's no, there's no fixing it, but there's also no time where you wouldn't be experiencing it. So really there's no time you wouldn't be talking about it. And so then you have this feeling that you're, if you do talk about it with your friends or with your loved ones, that you 
are just going to be talking about it only. You know, that there's no other part of your life that's interesting or that's important. And then, you know, you end up sort of in this conversation that you've had a million times with potentially people who don't understand what it means. um, And that's what defines you. And that feels kind of gross also. I I hear you on that, too. I have said for years I never wanted to be Karen with cancer. Mm -hmm. But many times, uh, you know, the the conversation does go there. I think it depends on the group and how often, you know, there's a, a group of, you know, neighbors and friends that I spend so much time with them that you forget, which is a good, can be a good thing. But, um, but on the same note, it might be hard when you're going through it, when you're not feeling well, you know, in my case, when, when you're not feeling well in your case with pain, that it's looming and it's not going away. So how have you managed that once you understood what it was from a physical, okay, you're in pain, how, what are you doing? But also from a mental state, can you share what you've done, what's worked and also what's not worked? Because I think sometimes it's good to hear about the things that didn't work because there's so much on the internet about like, do this if you've got chronic pain, if you've got cancer, if you've got heartbreak, you know, insert hardship here. And I don't believe in that magic pillar, that magic fix in anything. I hope, though, that there are a, a variety of solutions that might make it better. Sure. And I think that that is the point, is that there are a variety of solutions that make it better. And there's also not one that works for everyone. I mean, I've tried everything, everything, and I will continue to try everything. Right. What's everything? What are some things you've tried? Just so I can visualize it. But everything from cryotherapy for you know, making your inflammation to go down to I'm, I'm on Remicade for my, for my stomach for Crohn's, which is actually miraculous um, and has allowed me to live my life, which I wasn't really able to do before because I was stuck at home or in pain or unable to feel confident going out. I've tried massage. I've tried uh, every herbal wellness that my doctor allows me to try. Right. I get that too. Yeah. I've tried pain medication, some of which, you know, I think it's a little different when you have a stomach problem because pain medication is actually really hard on your stomach, but I can see why it's attractive. I've tried, I have a therapist, I have a psychiatrist. I, I work part-time, which I'm very blessed and privileged to be able to do. Uh, But I have a partner who has had to live this with me for the last 25 years and he's then has to pick up a lot of slack. So I appreciate that. But I've also sort of learned to be able to tell him when things are not so great and when I need more support or I need more help. I do think that that the things that work change also. So you could be going, you know, you could, you could be going to a therapist for a long time and feel like, you know, at least from a mental health perspective, you're doing great. And then things can fall off and all of a sudden you need medication or you don't need anything or, or what have you. And I think that's the thing I think that I've learned over the last however many years is that the thing that helps is not gonna, it's not gonna be the magic pill, you know, or the magic therapy or the magic whatever, it's going to work now. And it's maybe gonna work a little now. And maybe that combined with lots of other things is gonna be sort of this recipe, but it's, it's gonna change. And that's, and you know, that part, the flexibility of solution or 
remedy or, or therapy, that has been very helpful for my own sense of acceptance. And that's really, you know, I think that the thing has, that has helped me the most is this idea that it's okay for me to live in pain, that there doesn't have to be a solution is actually very freeing. Um, and then the other thing is talking to other people who experience it. Um, a lot of times it is very isolating. It is very lonely. Uh, it's also like you're tired. <laughs> Being in pain makes you really exhausted. So reaching out and trying to find people to talk to is really not on my list of things I want to do. But when I do talk to someone who's experienced the same thing, like anything, you know, you find somebody who has a similar experience to yours and it can be very freeing. Well, and what I love about the book is that when you have 20 other women that are sharing their stories, there's power in the numbers. That's, you know, 20 in just a book, right? There's probably hundreds, maybe thousands of people out there. But also the fact that my story may not resonate with everybody, but if there's somebody else that's telling a similar story, that person's story might resonate more. And, you know, I found that early on with my cancer diagnosis, I went to the Barnes and Noble to get, this was 18 years ago. So that's what we did is we got books and it was hard for me to read some of the books about other people's stories, knowing I was going through it. It either, it might've scared me um, or I was like, I don't think that way. I don't do that. And so I was turned off. And while there were probably a lot of different resources and tips that I could get from that person or that book, I was turned off for whatever reasons. And I was maybe done with it. When you have a book like yours that, that showcases a lot of different stories or points of view, maybe one won't work and then you go on to the next. So I think that the actual format could be really a really helpful resource to people that are going through chronic pain. I hope so. That's, that's my goal. And that's one of the reasons that I wanted to interview people because my story is only my story and I can sort of extrapolate from it and, and, and try to make it work for everyone, but that's not helpful. When I wrote the book, you know, I did interview about 21 people. There's 10 that who are featured really heavily in the book. And I really wanted to get a range of why people were in pain. So people who were, had had an accident when they were a child or when they were adult and, and ended up in pain or somebody who had a chronic disease or people who had a surgery that went around, or there's a lot of, a lot of possibilities. And I, I wanted to do that for the exact reason that you're saying, which is that I really wanted people to feel connected because that's the whole point of this book. I mean, writing about pain, people ask me, what's your book about? And I'm like, chronic pain. <laughs> and yeah, people are like, right. oh, it's really fun. That's a fun one, right. <laughs> but it kind of is very, very freeing. And I think I've said that before, but it is very freeing to talk to people or hear people tell their stories about their experience with something that you go through. And it might be different from the way that you experience it or the way that you go through it. And that's great because that gives you other ways to potentially deal with your pain is to try somebody else's answers. Um, you know, and that's, that's important. Now, can I ask you as we'll say an expert in this space, you know, not just the writing of the author, but meaning of dealing with chronic pain for so long, um, for the listener out there that might be thinking, you know, I have been in a pain for many years. Where do they begin to try and figure out the best course for themselves? Well, again, I think it really depends on the person. But if I were to 
give sort of a, a blanket advice. I, I think the first thing is finding a community of people who you feel comfortable with and who you can learn from, but who you can leave the things that don't, don't work so well. And I think there are, there are places to do that. Um, I've looked into it. There are places, but I, I don't know them specifically, but on, you know, there are chats and, and pages and things like that. I also think, you know, there are a lot of ways to look at living a life in pain. And the way that has worked for me is to think to yourself, there may be a day, there may be a day where I'm not in pain, but let's imagine that the, that my life is going to continue the way it has been going and I'm going to be in pain forever. So what can I do in my everyday life to, to make it tolerable? And it's very small, but I think this idea of, of pivoting to a place of acceptance is actually huge because what that does, it gives you permission to live differently, to say, I don't feel right today and I'm gonna just take a nap. I'm going to experiment with this exercise, but if it doesn't work, I'm gonna be okay with it not working, even though it worked for this person and this person. And that goes back to what you were saying about this culture is such a culture of, we love strength. We, especially Generation X, we grew up in, you're gonna work, you're gonna hustle, you're gonna do everything you can to the grind to be, I think it's successful. And what you're saying now, I think is this acceptance piece, I've seen it as I've been on a clinical trial. And so my medications have changed. My, uh, you know, the, the course and the logistics have changed in what I need to do and it's different. And so this time, I don't know if I did it as much in the past because is I'm, I'm really, I'm trying to listen to my body and accept the fact that it's okay if I sit on the couch and watch Days of Our Lives. Right. On right. many levels, it's okay. Yes. But it's it's okay. And the expectations, in, in a sense, I prioritize. I do pick my son up from school and I do want to take him to some of his activities. And if I feel good, I, I have a, a partner as well. My husband's very great about jumping in and doing that when he can, as his job allows too. So I also have friends that know, maybe don't, have what I have, yeah. but know what I'm going through and have been willing to jump in, jump in so that our life can be seemingly, you know, call it normal. I'm not sure if that's the right thing right. when I need the, that downtime. And that was hard for me. So if you're listening now being like, I could never sit and watch marathons of you know, the Big Bang Theory or what's some other ones I love to watch. Um, you know, just like I love old school, silly, fun um, sitcoms. Um, I used to kind of beat myself up over spending so much time doing that. And now in fairness, I mean, here I am interviewing you, right? Like I, I, I do love this avenue and this is, is such a joy for me. Uh, but there are plenty of times when I just need to just chill. Yeah. And I need to, and when I, when I accepted that, silly, but I wasn't beating myself up over not getting enough done. Right. I was like, this is where I am at in my cancer journey. Right. And with stage four, you know, similar to chronic pain, it's for life. Right. So, but to your other point that you said earlier about you got to be flexible because some days, some phases are different. And so sometimes you'll need to, to change or reevaluate. Right. And I think the idea that you redefine what success means to you is also pretty major because I, you know, I used to think doing as much as possible was the definition of success. I was working full-time with two small kids and tried to have friends and a life and all these things. And 
And what I realized was when I did redefine it, redefine success for myself, you know, doing a couple of things for work, picking my children up at school, taking them to baseball or piano or whatever it is, and then cooking dinner was the definition of success for the day. Those were four things I could do, you know, totaling maybe four hours that if I could get through them, that could be success. And if I couldn't get through them, it didn't mean failure. It just meant I didn't get through them that day. And that's a really huge thing. I mean, I think that we, one of the reasons that I started thinking about weakness and strength for this book is that I have heard a million times pain is weakness leaving the body, which means that if you're in pain, the weakness has not left. And there's something about that, you know, it goes back to our culture and the sort of, it feels kind of toxic. This idea that, that if you're in pain or you're sick, you're somehow weaker than other people um, or weaker than you were before or, or whatever. I think that that actually is the thing that we get stuck on is this idea that we're not enough if we're in pain or we're not enough if we don't accomplish all the things that we want to or that we used to. Um, and that's why, why the idea that it's not weakness in there, it's actually takes a huge amount of strength to do all of these things in light of the fact that we have some, some serious obstacles that we need to confront and maybe not get over, maybe just confront. Well, as you're talking, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm sure our parents or grandparents said this to us like, oh, youth is wasted on the youth. Or, or there's a saying, I don't remember who said it. Youth oh, is yeah, wasted. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, youth is wasted on the young. Uh, in my 20s, which in your case, you did have pain in your before your 20s, but my 20s were pretty fun and pretty easy. And if I knew then what I knew now, I mean, man, how many times did I hear that too? Yeah. But what's really interesting, and I think we see it a lot with um, on social media now, is that these TikTok stars, the Instagram influencers, they're pretty amazing. They are the the way that they're digitally savvy, some of the messages that they want to share are, are great. Mm -hmm. uh, and the time that they have that, hey, we all have 24 hours in a day, but their priorities, their responsibilities might very well be different than ours. Right. And and so I, I, I commend them for, for doing that, especially if they're happy doing it. Um, however, the wisdom that comes from those 20 years from being 20 than 40 right. is huge and cannot be overstated. Put it this way, we need to state it more, right? <laughs> that there's something that I, I think, and maybe, you know, hopefully you're listening and, and, and you're nodding your head that it, you know, it seems quite obvious because of course, 20 years, there's a lot of wisdom there. There's a lot that, um, and, and I think I say this on the note of when we're talking about acceptance, acceptance in, in your 40 that like, I'm not, I'm not willing to take the time and energy that that 20 year old um, media person, podcaster, author, whatever they might be, um, what they're doing because their story, their direction at the time is different than mine. And I think in this culture, you know, the, me, we're talking about, um, you know, I'm sharing my thoughts on this, but I think the greater, uh, the greater good, the greater society where we are so connected to the media and we're so, it's so easy to compare everybody else's story. It's hard to accept that because you see them and you think, okay, but, but they're doing it. They're figuring out they're strong. They're not weak. Right. And, and so it's in a sense, it's kind of constantly thrown in our face. Absolutely. 
I mean, I think that the social media and the internet can do both things. It can connect people with similar stories and similar life experiences, and it can also lead to a lifetime of comparison. And that can be really brutal. Uh, and that's why I think sort of shining a light on stories that are maybe not as shiny uh, is an important thing because it connects people to, to reality and to authenticity and to a sort of vulnerability that that often can be lost. Well, and what's interesting is, is so we're sitting here talking about chronic pain. However, you can insert, again, insert your hardship here and a lot of, it sounds like your journey went through like discovery, trying all these different, you know, wellness, uh, scientific treatments, things that could help. Some did, some didn't. And then you move on to the next. That that really could be true with any time when you're going through hardship is go to those medical experts that, you know, I, th- I think when you were saying, I was asking, okay, what do you want? What, what should people do if they, they first think they might have chronic pain? Finding a community is huge. Finding experts, if your pain hurts in a certain area, I mean, I know the call it adventure or call it the hassle of figuring things out is tough because you might go to a number of practitioners. Mm-hmm. Right. I've always believed in throwing in like a naturopath or a holistic doctor in to the conversation, not saying they're going to solve anything because to your point, it may not be solvable, but they oftentimes have a different point of view Yes, that when you bring that back to your primary doctor in whatever it might be, sometimes my doctor laughs at it and other times uh, they stop for a moment and have a conversation with me about it. Yeah. I think having those, those, um, conversations are huge. So is there anything else that you would like to to add sharing with the listeners right now that really just might be going through hardship? What are some of the things that you really think, you know, again, I just said holistic, but I'm saying holistic in a grand way could help people that they should consider? Well, the one thing I haven't really said that I think is incredibly important is that I think looking for kindness is actually a really important part of this because I think we have this idea that when we're in pain or when we feel ashamed or when we face humiliation in any way, um, which often you do when you're in pain, uh, that people are going to be kind of cruel. And my experience and the experience of most of the women that I spoke to is actually the opposite and that people, medical professionals, friends, family, you know, just people on the street tend to actually be very kind. And if you look for it, you can see it everywhere. I'm so grateful for the kindness that people have shown me, whether it's a nurse who checks in on me because, you know, I was feeling woozy and she does something different from, you know, some of the other people, or it's a woman at the gym who helps me wash my clothes when I need to do that, or, or a friend who checks up on me. I mean, these are humongous moments. They're small moments but they, they make a humongous difference. Well, what's interesting is you say that. So this is kind of the part of the, this is the part of the program. This is the part in the podcast where I will lean into the grateful game. And what it is, is as we close out each episode, we talk about what we're grateful for and why. And the reason I started doing that was because it was something we did at home where my son and I, I, kid you not, I think as a nine-year-old, he did not want to go to bed. And so him not wanting to go to bed meant he'd stay up and he'd talk to me. So I had a a gratitude journal and I'd ask him, what are you grateful for and why today? 
And in the day it was nice. Maybe the next day it was nice. But as we started doing it regularly is when we started to look out in the world at what were we grateful for and why during the day and we come back to each other. And so as you're saying and you're asking people to just take some time and look for kindness in the world. It does sound, you know, like, oh, you know, happy, cheesy, lovely unicorn-like. We see a lot of that, the grateful game as well. Um, but it can be this huge, beautiful truth. So if you're listening right now, and whether you're driving or you're half asleep or you're taking a walk, like, look around you in this moment maybe even in this day, of the little acts of kindness that happen. Because yes, I know we see it thrown in our faces in social media, and it's nice, and sometimes we smile, but when you really notice it and you feel it, and that's the same thing with my grateful game, right? Is that when you start noticing it more often, it's really, um, it's really a beautiful thing. So um, I would love to, you know, like I said, for those who are listening, if you could take a moment and you know, close your eyes, not if you're driving, but uh, close your eyes, think about something that you're grateful for and why, or a kindness act that you might have done or someone else has done. And Francesca, I'm going to ask the same for you. And listen, if you want to make it a competition, like my son and I used to do, we would, you know, if, if I, I always had to start. So if I had three, he had to come up with four. Or if I had eight, he had to come up with nine. Uh, you know, that's what you do. It was age appropriate. Now we don't do that so much. As a 14-year-old, it's oftentimes in the car in the backseat. I'll be like, all right, buddy. Like, how was, your, how was your day at school today? Oh, it was fine, mom. All right, well, tell me something you were grateful for and why. Right. You know, I don't do it in front of the friends. So what is something that, uh, you know, you pick, whether it's something you're grateful for and why today or something kind that you noticed happened in the last day or two? Oh my gosh, there's so many. Well, I'm, I am grateful for flexibility. And that's, again, you know, comes with, with a certain sense of, of feeling privileged to be able to, to make some flexibility. I know that's not always possible. And I'm grateful for people in my life, my husband, my children, and my, my friends and family who give me the benefit of the doubt. And it sounds kind of like, of course, but they don't have to um, because they, it, pain is invisible most of the time. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes you feel crippled and you you really show it. But for the most part, uh, pain is invisible. So when I say I need this time or I need this flexibility, it's really kind of uh, amazing that they can go with it. I'm very, very grateful for that. Well, thank you for sharing. And um, for all the listeners out there, thank you for being here today. Now, Francesca, your book, we can get it on Amazon, um, you know, all the places you get books. Yep. I assume. And how about if people want to reach out? Uh, what, where can they reach out to you on social media, on your website? All of those things. Um, it's right. Francesca Grossman Books. They can reach out there. All right. I will make sure I put that in the show notes. And I am so grateful that you are here sharing your story, sharing your wisdom. Um, for those who are listening, thank you for being here as well. You can always reach out if you have any questions, if you have any thoughts. Uh, and, it, it, you know, if nothing else, I, I hope it's just brought a little bit of extra wisdom and maybe a little bit of more joy to your day. Because that's what we're here to do is we know that life isn't always easy and that's okay. It's okay not to be okay sometimes, but we're hoping that we can find, um, help you find a little bit more joy in uh, whatever journey you're going through in life. So uh, have a great day and bye for now, everyone. 
One more thing. I would be so grateful if you'd take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe. You leaving a review helps us with our podcast ranking. The higher we are ranked, the more people can discover our show. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm sending you lots of happiness and great health.